You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Alan, thank you so much. Um, I, I won't let out any secrets. I won't tell him. I won't tell him. <laughs> no, it was so such a, a joy to have Alan. We we called him our our extra boy because the year that uh, Nathan and Luke got married, um, Rosie was a basket case, and I wasn't that great either. But Alan came and lived with us, so that was a great that was a great joy. Uh, it's been such a, a a joy to be with you this morning to experience. The presence of God. I mean, I felt immediately we started to worship that God was here. You know, we often talk about the presence of God. What does that mean? What does it look like? Is it really subjective? But there was such a wonderful sense of family. And Lottie, when you sang, I really felt something happen in the room. And I just want to prophesy over you that as you sing, that captives will be set free. So keep singing, girl. It's great. Yeah, God bless you. Well, I've been weighing up what to bring to you this morning. When you're a visiting preacher, what do you do? Bring your best sermon or the latest sermon. But I feel God's spoken to me about bringing a word about the God of history We're living in very unusual times and I want to encourage you that God has a plan and does have a purpose. At the uh, time when the Conservative Party were voting in their new leader, I thought I would read Boris Johnson's biography uh, just so that I knew a bit more about him. I didn't know if I was going to vote for him or not, but anyway, that's, that's my own personal uh, thing. Um, I'm not going to tell you. But, <laughs> but um, I read a chapter in his biography on the art of public speaking. And he came out with a very interesting concept that a public speech is more about the dynamic of the speech than the content. (laughs) Um, And he uses this phrase, uh, it's not about the sausage, it's about the sizzle. (laughs) I think history's probably shown that. (laughs) So hopefully there'll be plenty of sausage this morning. When we come to the Word of God, it's important to realise that there is a dynamic in Scripture that when God speaks through his Word, things happen. I was once preaching in an Anglican church and I was preaching on Ephesians 1 on the mighty power of God. Ephesians 1 is full of that. And I'd got about 10 minutes into the Word and I was behind the pulpit And a lady came out of her seat, out of the pew, came down the aisle and shoved her hand under my nose like like this. And I thought, madam, what are you doing? I'm preaching. 
And she said, look, look, look at my hand. So I looked at her hand and it was like this. And I said, what? well, what's happening? She said, 20 years ago, I had an industrial accident and I had an operation on my wrist. The tendons were severed and my hand has been closed for the last 20 years. She said, as you were preaching on the power of God, she said, my fingers started to open and she'd got three fingers like this. So I was getting on a roll now, so I started speaking to the hand and the hand opened and she started going like this. Now I just want to say, it wasn't anything that I'd said, it was the power of the scripture taking root in her life and when we read the word of God, when we mix it with faith, God does things in us. So um, I had a phone call from the vicar of that church the next week and he said, Phyllis has been opening and closing her hand all week and telling all her neighbours. And then I had another message to say that the miracle had been medically verified. She had gone to the authorities to say that what happens with my, to ask what happens with her compensation. They had no way of dealing with it, so she was able to keep it. And it would be some time later, I was at a, speaking at a Christian conference, and a lady came up to me, she said, you won't know me, but my mother's name is Phyllis. I said, what, Phyllis with the hand? <laughs> and she said, yeah, yes. She said, she's still going up to people and opening and closing her hand and telling them about Jesus. So whenever I preach, I'm in faith that God is going to speak through his word. So we're going to look at Acts and chapter 1. Now, those of us who been around a long time and believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and uh, charismatic life, we usually jump straight to Acts 2. But I'm going to start with Acts 1. So we're going to pick it up at verse 6. And while staying with them, he ordered them not, these are the disciples, this is after the resurrection. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come to the sa- in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, encapsulated in just those few sentences in this short narrative, we have the history of time from the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to the present day. It's all there, integrated into it. And I want to try and open this up. Now, we are living in a very unusual era. It's uh, been an incredible year, hasn't it? We've had, I've lost count of the number of prime ministers and uh, 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 chancellors and and so on. Queen Elizabeth has died. We have a, a new king. And it's almost like everything's changing at once. And in, with people that I've talked to, they've, they've almost said, well, it, it feels like life is changing. Now, I'm 77 years old and uh, was born at, at the end of the war, and I've lived through um, the second half of the 20th century and its history, and remember things like the Bay of Pigs and the Suez Crisis and the Vietnam War, all, all of that stuff. And I'm very, very interested in history. And it's, it's interesting that when we look at what is going on now, it's almost like a major, major year in the same way that some of those events that I've talked about have happened. Now, the Bible talks about times and seasons. And this comes out in this passage here. Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. Now, what did exactly did he mean by that? You see, Jesus had told them that they were to gather together. He was with them. And they were wondering what was going to happen now. Jesus had risen from the dead. They'd had their time of mourning and reflection. You know, when we read the Bible narrative, we can so quickly skip over the time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But imagine how those disciples were feeling. You know, if you, you know they, they would have probably been thinking, but he walked on the water. But look at that lame man he healed. Look at the blind people who were seeing. And there would have been a time of mourning and reflection. And I think as a country, we've gone through a time of mourning and reflection, actually, with the the death of the Queen. I I certainly did. I was very impacted. I didn't realise that I was. I'm not necessarily a great royalist, but it was was like impacting. And uh, it, it was like I started to remember and think through things. I'd actually seen the Queen. When I was 12, I went to the dairy show and the news came through that the Queen was going to visit. She was very young then. 
I was only 12 years old. And uh, I remember fighting my way down to the front to see the Queen. This was amazing. So this memory came flooding back on the day that I'd heard she'd died. And then I remembered that uh, one, one of the greatest honours I've ever had as a musician was to be invited to play, at the, play my trumpet in the Royal Chapel at Windsor Castle. Phil, you'd have loved it. Uh, it, it, it was a, a wonderful occasion. The Queen was not actually there, I, I hasten to say, but it was like a, a, a big occasion. And uh, I had played my trumpet, and uh, part of the whole pr- uh, of the proceedings was to, for the chapel choir to sing. And they were absolutely amazing. And they sang the hymn, The Day Thou Gavest, Lord Has Ended. Now that's the hymn that the Queen chose for her funeral, if you remember. And I, I have an incredible kind of romantic sense of history. I was sitting in this seat, and just next to me was the, the seat with Lord Castlereagh's name on. And then there was Winston Churchill's name. It was like this felt, I'm sitting in history here. It was amazing. And all these flags of empire and commonwealth and everything fluttering from the... Uh, from the roof, and I suddenly grasped the irony of this great hymn in this place, a bastion of empire. So be it, Lord, your throne shall never, like earth's proud empires, fade away. Your kingdom stands and stands forever till all your beings Hold your sway. Wow. And I've been remembering that, that history, events in history, a once great empire, now lost, and all the rightness of the, uh, the way things have uh, devolved and all, and all of that. I'm not making any comments about that. The thing is, God is the God of history. And in the book of Daniel, we read this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Now, this is interesting. He changes times and seasons. Now, the word times here in the Septuagint version of the Bible, the Greek Old Testament, is the Greek word epochein, which means to pause. And it's the same word that Jesus, uh, that is translated, what Jesus said to the disciples. It's not for you to know the times and seasons. And the word that is used in older translations comes from that Greek word, and it's usually translated epochs. So an epoch is like God putting his finger on the pause button. It's like times are going to change now. I'm just putting my finger on the pause button. And it's God who is the God of history. It's God who ordains things. It's God in his sovereignty 
who's behind all things. So when the disciples asked Jesus the question, is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom, what was in their minds was, are you now going to kick these Romans out and establish us back into our Jewish-Israeli community that Moses and Abraham and all of those set up in the first place? Is this going to be the time when it's going to be our day, the Jewish nation? And Jesus says, guys, you're asking the wrong question. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And with that, Jesus was launching a whole new epoch, a whole new season. One was ended and another was starting. Now, I don't want to overstate this, but I have a sense prophetically that we as a nation are going through change. The world is going through change. The world is a very different place from even what it was 10 years ago, certainly from when I, I was a child. Different values and, and, and so on. But I sense that God is doing something. God's hand is on history. Now, I don't know what you think about history. There are different views of history. There's what we might call the, the, the secular humanist view of history, the, the pessimistic humanist view of, Chris, of, of history, or even the nihilist view. You know, that history is just a random series of events that are going nowhere, and uh, we just have to make the best of it and live in it, and it's all disaster. And uh, it's reflected in the arts, in, uh, in literature, it's reflected in music. I mean, I don't know if you remember that REM um, so song, Everybody Hurts. It was a big song at the time of the ha Haiti earthquake. You know, all this death and destruction. And that became a kind of theme song. Everybody hurts. Life's meaningless. It's, where, where is it all going? But then there are others who've got a more optimistic view of history, but without God. So a secular humanistic view of history that, uh, well, we're evolving towards something better. We're working towards uh, better laws and better values and, uh, yeah, we're going to look after the planet and, and all of that kind of talk. And there's a lot of good in that, to be honest. Um, I think it is good that, that certain things have changed, but it's not all good. And in a sense, morality has shifted so that what used to be considered wrong is now considered right. And if you, there are certain views, if you hold now, they are considered to be wrong. And yet, historically, they would be the right views. Uh, I don't need to open up on that. I'm sure you can use your minds and think through things, that things that were once considered to be right are now considered to be wrong and things that were wrong are now considered to be right. So it's an optimistic view of history that things are evolving towards something better. And I even saw on the news, on a news programme on Sky this week, um, a, a, a laboratory somewhere that is trying to get rid of ageing so that we can live for a lot longer. You know, as though man can do that. 
And then there's another view of history that we might call the cyclical view of history, that things just go round in circles, you know, that what's happened will happen again. And uh, I can remember at school when I was doing history, writing an essay on history teaches us that history teaches man nothing. And we had to illustrate it with the fact that Hitler made the same mistake as as Napoleon when he marched on Russia and was defeated not by the Russian army but by the weather. And so history goes round in, in circles. But we as Christians have another view of history. And that is rooted in what Jesus was talking about here. We believe that history is going towards the divinely directed goal of the summing up of all things under the headship of Christ. He is the God of history. He is the one who knows exactly what's going on and God has a plan. Now in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, we have a wonderful statement in the first few verses of our salvation. It's a great chapter on knowing about our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So the Father has blessed us. He's called us. He's chosen us. Jesus has redeemed us through his blood. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit who's given to us as a guarantee. And you can read that and we can say, wow, isn't our salvation wonderful? And yes, it is personal salvation. And study Ephesians 1, get it into your soul, read it, get it, let it be your testimony. But there is a verse tucked in there in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll just turn to it. And it's, betwi- it's right in the middle of this bit about our personal salvation. Let me see if I can find Ephesians. There it is. You know how to find these books, don't you? Get every bub- pub closed. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. <laughs> I don't mean that, by the way. <laughs> um, so, Paul says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven and things on earth. Now what's Paul saying here? Our salvation is not only personal, it's cosmic. God has a big plan for us in the context of his great eternal purpose. That's why Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his wonderful book on Ephesians calls the first book God's ultimate purpose. We have in this verse God's ultimate purpose. You see, God is the God of seasons. He's the God of times. He's the God who organizes all things because he's sovereign. But it's all going to be summed up under the headship of Christ. Now, there's a very interesting Greek word that's used in, in, in this. Uh, and I, I, love, I love saying this word and I've practiced saying it. It's got lots of syllables. It's anakephaliosasthai. There you are. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) 
anakephaliosasai. That is the whole thing about God summing up, the summing up anakephaliosasai. Now, in Greek culture, that was a word that was for an accountant. And an accountant would take the ledgers and would look at the income and the expenditure and he would add up all the sums and everything and then he would come to his conclusion at the end of it. So the conclusion would have been drawn. So it's like, it's like a descriptive word. Now that's what Jesus is doing. He's summing up everything under his headship. So, Jesus says to the disciples after their time of mourning and reflection and thinking it all through, he says, guys, you're asking the wrong question. There is a new era about to dawn. It's the era of the Spirit. It's an era where they were going to continue to do what Jesus had done on earth in the power of the Spirit and they were to go into the whole world to preach the gospel. So what does this do for us in our spirit today? Why is this so important for us as Christian believers? It's important because we are living in a world that is falling apart. And we are living with friends and neighbours and perhaps family who are full of anxiety. Where is it all going? Where is it all heading? What is going to happen with Putin? What is going to happen with the economy? What is going to happen with the food running out? What is going to happen with the planet? They're all legitimate questions and need to be asked. But God has a plan. Now, the important thing for us is that God's plan is enshrouded in his plan and purpose for the church. And Jesus saying to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, means that God's plan and purpose will be fulfilled, he will do it, and what is going to happen is that Jesus, he said to them, I'm going to return to my Father, he ascended, he went back to heaven. And as he went, I'm sure the disciples were, I mean, this was way bigger than Star Wars or Star Trek, Jesus ascending into heaven. No science fiction film could capture that moment. Wow, he'd gone back to heaven. Now, the ascension is really important in the context of history. Now, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And it goes on to say, He that has clean hands and a pure heart has not lifted up his soul to vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Now, that was uh, called a psalm of a of a sense and it would have been sung by the people going up to worship at the tabernacle. But more than that, it's a prophetic psalm about Jesus. Who shall stand in the holy place? 
He that has clean hands and a pure heart has not lifted up his soul to vanity, to sinfulness. The only person who's ever lived like that is Jesus. He's the only one worthy to ascend into the presence of his Father. Now, it's a great mystery, but he is the only one. And Jesus, in his perfection, completely defeated the work of Satan on the cross. Completely defeated him. And when Jesus burst through the portals of heaven, it reminds us of the psalm, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory might come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And there the Father greets the Son, having totally accomplished his victory over sin, Satan, demonic powers, and everything that could be thrown at him. Here he has perfectly redeemed us, and Jesus stands before his Father, bursting through heaven, Angel wings dipped in royal salute. And the father says, well done, son. You did it. You did it. And Satan is defeated. And his grip on the world, on the universe, has been completely loosened. Hallelujah. And so everything else is now waiting for Jesus to come back and wind it all up and we'll be with him forever. I love that passage of scripture. We shouldn't overlook it. Because when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and began to preach, the people were asking Peter, what is this all about? What's going on? And Peter says this, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, the ascension, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. So, the result of the ascension, the Spirit's poured out, God's plan starts to unfold, the church is on the earth, and we, here in York, on this Sunday morning, a part of that big plan. So keep going, keep going, and be filled with the Spirit. And that filling of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and many of us have been filled with the Spirit, it's not a one-off experience. We go on being filled with the Spirit. So, as a church, I want to encourage you Live by the power of the Spirit. Have a cosmic perspective on what's going on in the earth. Don't let anxiety and fear grip you. You have a message of good news to your neighbours, to your friends and family. Live in the good of that. Deliver the good news. Be filled with the Spirit and rejoice in God's glorious plan. That's it.